for just a spirit-filled message and that everybody would receive exactly what you want us to today and that um, Ed will say exactly what you want and that he will be just filled from the bottom of his feet to the top of his head with your anointing spirit right now, God, and we just pray for your might and your power and your glory to be with him and in him and through him, and that we would just have a wonderful experience with you this morning as we dive into your word. So we just pray this in Jesus' holy, precious, wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Well, All right. So let me summarize where I was last week because I did part one of the sermon series on salvation. We talked about that we have a big sin problem, which is amplified by the fact that our God is holy and hates sin. So we have this huge problem. Fortunately, God had a plan for our salvation from the foundations of the world. And we saw image of it in the Old Testament, like the law. And the tabernacle and the animal sacrifices, all of those things were already pointing to Jesus, who would die as the sacrifice for sin for us on the cross. Thus, removing God's wrath far away from us and that we could receive the free gift of eternal life. The gospel story is the greatest news in the world. Now, let's talk about the security of our salvation. Our salvation is secure, and we don't need to live in fear of losing it. I know I don't, and I hope you don't either. But I also realize that I can't go back to my old life of sin. I can't reject God and follow a different God. I mean, there's too many warning passages in the Bible for that. I need to, and I want to, continue walking with Jesus every day. But I also know this. That God wants to bring every Christian home to heaven to be with him. And I have supreme confidence in his ability to do that. So why do Christians lack assurance? I think there are probably several reasons. Let me just give you a few. One is Christians can't always pinpoint an exact time they were saved. They really don't know. Like for me, I know it was July 31st, 1977, right about noon at the Canton Baptist Temple in Canton, Ohio. I know this specific moment where my whole world changed, but but others can't say that. They would say, you know, as a child, I, I already loved the Lord and I, I've been following him, walking with him all the time. They don't have a conversion experience, a dramatic one that changed their life. And so that's always a point, you know. Am I saved? When was I saved? I think a second one would be they question the procedure they went through to become a Christian. They may wonder, did I say the right prayer? Do you have to get saved in front of a church at an altar? Well, I didn't. I was just in my bedroom and I just said a prayer. Or in some traditions, baptism is extremely important. Did I get baptized the right way? And these questions can create doubts in our minds as well as sins do. Another reason for a lack of assurance is if there's a particularly big sin in the past or a habitual sin that you're struggling to get over. And the devil loves to come along and say, can God really forgive you of that? And so that creates doubts and questions in your mind about your salvation. Hymn writer William Cowper, apparently, and he wrote these wonderful hymns of the faith. 
struggled his entire Christian life with doubts about his salvation. He was tormented. Am I really going to make it to heaven or am I going to hell? And, and that's so sad and unnecessary. Let's talk about God's work in the security of my salvation. First, the work of the Father. Ephesians 1.4 says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. And John 10.28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. I'm comforted by the fact that God chose me and that he's holding on to me. Imagine if you were standing by the Grand Canyon or or a cliff or something like that, and and your little toddler children are beside you. Are you going to hold on tight to them at that moment as you look at the gaze of the canyon? Of course you are. And so God is holding on to us tightly. There's the work of the Son. Jesus is my intercessor. He's my advocate. He's my mediator. When I'm not faithful, he's faithful. First John 2, 1 says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then there's the work of the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and seals us in many more things. Titus 3, 5 says he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Let's talk about my work in the security of my salvation. And in your notes, you should have work in quotes. I don't know if you do or not, but okay, I'm doing the air quotes right now. I don't earn it. I don't work to earn my salvation, but I do maintain it. I continue to believe in Christ and walk with him daily. So when I do sin, I'm grieved about it. I confess that sin and I forsake it for my life. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if I'm being harassed and tempted by the devil, I rebuke him. James 4, 7, submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. So how can I know that I'm really saved? There will be evidence and fruit in your life that indicates that to you. You'll know God is your father. Romans 8, 15 and 16. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You'll have an inner sense of peace that you didn't have before, that God is really my father. You'll understand the Bible better. This is of the Holy Spirit bringing God's word to light to us. John 16, 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Before I was saved, if I occasioned to pick up a Bible and read it, it didn't make any sense to me. 
But after I was saved, even the same day, I opened the Bible and began reading it. And man, it came alive to me. The Holy Spirit was speaking through the words of Scripture, the truth. And I understood it better. You'll have a sense of the seriousness of sin that you didn't have before. Before you were a Christian, you just overlooked sin. This is how I am. Or you didn't even think about it. You just sinned. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Man, the present age is so bad. How we need that Holy Spirit within to help us. But we feel convicted of our sin now. I didn't before I was saved. But we feel badly about it. Another evidence or fruit is you're going to feel a concern for lost people. Romans 10, 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. You're, you're going to want to share your faith, the experiences you're having spiritually with other people that don't know him. Another evidence is you're going to love your brother and sister in Christ. First John three fourteen, we know that we have passed out of death into life. Why? Because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. We're going to want a fellowship with other Christians in church gatherings such as this. I mean, we're strengthened in our faith when we're with other believers. And you'll find yourself becoming more and more like Jesus, more holy, more loving. Your character should and will improve. Galatians 4.19, Paul says, My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. So if God should say to you, why should I allow you into my heaven? What would you say? How would you answer that? Well, Lord, I've always been a good person. I've never murdered anybody. Uh, I've tried my best. I went to church. I sang in the choir, blah, blah, blah. You know, that's not going to cut it. But I've trusted in your son, Jesus, his death on the cross for me. And I put my belief and faith in him. And now I'm following him as my Savior and Lord. All right, let's talk about the victory of my salvation. Who am I? That's a pretty important question. And a lot of us would answer, well, I am a whatever my career is, or I'm a mom or I'm a dad. But what does the Bible say about you? Who are you really? Here's just a few things I wrote down that the Bible says about us, who we are. We're the salt of the earth, the light of the world. A child of God. In the true vine, I'm Christ's friend. I'm chosen to bear much fruit. I'm a slave of righteousness. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm Christ's friend. I love that one. I'm the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm united with Christ. I'm a member of Christ's body, the church. I've been reconciled to God. I'm a minister of righteousness. I'm a minister of reconciliation. I'm a saint. I'm God's workmanship. 
I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm righteous and holy. I'm hidden in Christ. I'm chosen. I'm holy. I'm dearly loved. Man, let those things just wash over you. That's really who you are. As a new Christian, letter A, I have become a new person. I'm a new person in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's the reality about you. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So it's what God says about me that matters. But I look the same and I act the same in many ways. I know. But what's different is what's going on inside of you. The Holy Spirit dwells there now. And he's doing his work of changing you from the inside out. Philippians 1.6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. I think some of us just need to be more patient with ourselves. The Holy Spirit's there. He's working. He's changing you. Before I was saved, the Bible says I was in Adam. 1 Corinthians 15.22 For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Now I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation in Him. So the spiritual life and advancement in it can only start at rebirth. You must be born again. Jesus said that in John 3.3. 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And this is not from yourself. We, we can honestly change ourselves a little bit. We can tweak some things in our lives by our self-will. We can go on a diet. We can do some things to improve ourselves. Yes. But that doesn't lead to eternal life. Only we're just become better sinners. That's all. There are only two types of people in the world. Those that are in Adam and those that are in Christ. I have a new identity. I am a saint. Now, if you don't want to do this, this is okay. But if you want to lean over to the person beside you and tell them, I am a saint. You know what? They're looking back at you and saying, I know you. You're no saint. Yes, you are. We think of saints as really holy, really dead people who have been dead a long time. Those are the saints. But listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 2. Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be what? Saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. And if you read the rest of 1 Corinthians, This church had more problems and was more messed up than any church in the New Testament. And yet Paul says, here's who you are. You're really saints. Yeah, I guess we are sinners saved by grace. But more than that, we're saints. We're holy ones. And that gives us confidence about our salvation. Letter B, I have a new position. As a new Christian, I have a new position. I'm seated In heavenly realms. 
Ephesians 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world so that we should be holy and blameless before him. Not the distant heaven where God lives, but in the realm of spiritual reality and experiences. Paul uses that phrase in heavenly realms or places five times in the book of Ephesians. It means a place of spiritual blessing, the seed of Christ's power, the Christian sphere of life, the battleground of spiritual warfare, and the place where the church is to dominate Satan. In the same way that our world is filled with radio waves, we don't see them, but they're real. You turn on your device and and you hear a song. So, too, the natural world is permeated with the unseen realm of largely unknown realm for most Christians of heavenly beings. And, And most Christians or many Christians maybe know nothing about this and they operate in the natural physical world every day. But if we get tuned in to God's frequency and get on his wavelength, we're going to open up the spiritual world a lot more. And we will see that we're really in a spiritual battle for souls, our own and those of others. But God has equipped us for the victory. As a new Christian, I see the world differently than I saw it before. I have a new perspective, a heavenly perspective on things. See... I have a new purpose. I remember getting Rick Warren's book a long time ago, The Purpose Driven Life. That was a really good and helpful book for me because I was I realized very clearly that I was saved for a purpose. And that purpose is a lot more than just being happy. That's what I thought my purpose was. I want to be happy. As an unsafe person, for me, it was TGIF. I live for the weekend, the next party. But you know what? Honestly, I was empty inside. But then I got saved and everything changed for me. For me, it was pretty instantaneously. And I know that's not the experience of everyone. But I realized God has an eternal purpose for me. I'm created here for a reason, for a purpose. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Or by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So I I wasn't saved by doing good works. I was saved for doing good works. I hope you see the difference. Verse 10 tells us I'm God's workmanship and That's a great Greek word. It's poema, which our word comes from a poem. You're God's poem. You are God's masterpiece. So if you're into doing this, how about do it one more time? Look at somebody and say, I'm God's masterpiece. Now, again, they're probably saying, I know you. You're no masterpiece. you're, You're a real piece of work, buddy. That's what you are. But it's true. We really are. You are God's masterpiece. And there are general good works 
that you will do as a Christian. I mean, you'll love, serve, give, those, that type of stuff. But then there's specific works that God has designed and put in you that you must specifically fulfill. He, he's given you gifts and talents. 1 Corinthians 12:11 says, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one, that's you, individually as he wills. So your job is going to be discerning and discovering what those spiritual gifts are. You probably know your talents and abilities already, I hope. You have a lot of them. But spiritual gifts, discovering what those are, and then using them to serve the church and community. And lastly, letter D, I have a new power to overcome than I had before. Before, I only had my willpower, and it was very limited. Now I have the Holy Spirit's power within me. What do I have to overcome? The devil, the flesh, and the world. That's a lot. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, that's not from the Father, but is from the world. Now that I belong to Jesus Christ, Satan has no right or power over me anymore. I am still subject to some of the same stuff the world is, like storms and disasters and sickness and suffering and pain and death. Yeah, but I'm not a slave to sin anymore because of Jesus Christ. I love Romans 8, 37 through 39. No, in all these things... We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. Yes, Lord, thank you for what you have done for us in bringing us the free gift of salvation. We merely said, okay, I receive it. I need it. I believe it. And you saved us. Not because of any good works that we could do to earn it. So thank you, first and foremost, for that gift. And Lord, as we look at a uh, visual representation of our salvation through the Lord's Supper, I pray that if there's someone out there this morning that doesn't have that personal relationship, maybe they've been thought of themselves as a good person or a churchgoer, but they haven't experienced salvation, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of them, right there where they're seated right now before taking communion. They could confess their sins. Lord, I'm sorry for sinning against you, doing my own thing, going my own way. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me, for my sins were placed on him. And he suffered and died for me. I receive the free gift of eternal life that you give because you're good and gracious and merciful. And Lord, I know that you'll come and live inside of me and help me to walk with you every day. Not only as my Savior, but as my Lord. Pray that prayer or something along those lines right now before we take communion if you need to be saved. Lord, thank you for this table that is spread before us 
that you desired very much to share that with your disciples before you went to the cross. You took bread of that Passover meal and broke it and said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord, we remember back to the cross and what you did there for us. And then later in the meal, the cup, take and drink this. This is the blood of a new covenant I'm making for the remission of sins. Drink it. Thank you, Father, for presenting these gifts to us today that we can be strengthened spiritually by partaking of this meal and that you're with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Just a few particulars here as we take the Lord's Supper. We're going to invite you to the usher's will to exit by the outside walls and then come down to the station on your side. You'll be offered the bread and the cup. And there's also the self-contained units if you would prefer that. And you could take it at the altar or back at your seat or right standing up there. Make that be a holy moment for you. And then go back down the middle aisle so we don't have a traffic jam. And uh, parents, you determine if your children are old enough to take communion. If they know the Lord Jesus Christ, they're welcome. It's his table, not ours. If you're not saved, then don't take it. Right? So if the elders who are serving today, they'll come up, Pastor Charles, and the usher will release you. And if you need to stay seated, Ushers will be glad to bring the elements to you.